was nothing I could do Nothing I could do Hello and welcome to This Is Something I Can Do, Overcoming PTSD and Trauma with Aromatherapy. I'm your host, Amanda May Fitzgerald. In these unprecedented times, we all desire to make a difference with the division, violence, climate change, and sustainable energy issues. We all know the time for planning has passed. It's time for action, but it is difficult for our voices to be heard. I'm a trauma survivor with PTSD, and my flight, fight, or freeze response is triggered in almost every waking moment in these times. I am learning to overcome my triggers by facing my traumas and putting them in their rightful place. I know many others who are doing the same. We can make a difference in our lives and the world. I'm a professional aromatherapist, and through my work, I have found purpose and the tools I need to help myself and others. This podcast will shed light on the effects of trauma and what my guests and I are doing to overcome ours while helping others in the process. Please join us on this journey as we find others using their voice to help trauma survivors too. I'm your host, Amanda May Fitzgerald, and this is something I can do. I still sit here with it all. David G. is a globally recognized mind-body health and wellness expert, mindful performance trainer, meditation master, and best-selling author based in Southern California. David G. has taught millions of people around the world to connect to the stillness and silence that rests within, heal their hearts, plant powerful intentions, and manifest the life of their dreams. His grasp of real-world, time-tested solutions and their evidence-based practical application has helped people at every stage of life and circumstance to find balance, heal deep wounds, and transform into their best versions. His three award-winning books, Sacred Powers, De-Stressifying, and Secrets of Meditation have been translated into 22 different languages. David G. apprenticed for a decade under Drs. Deepak Chopra and David Simon, serving as the Chopra Center COO, lead educator, and then as the first dean of Chopra Center University, where he trained more than 300,000 people to meditate and certified more than 2,500 meditation teachers. He is credited with creating the original 21-day meditation process, which has spawned hundreds of similar 21-day meditation experiences and challenges around the world. Known as the Velvet Voice of Stillness, he is considered the most prolific creator of guided meditations in the world, with over 1,500 digital meditations and 16 albums to his credit. His meditations have received more than 25 million online streams and can be heard on Insight Timer, iTunes, Amazon, Apple Music, Hay House, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, Tidal, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And this week, he sat down with me, and we had a beautiful conversation about how meditation can help heal the body and mind as we overcome PTSD. Hello and welcome to Something I Can Do. I am humbled and awed that I'm here today with David G. Uh, 
Welcome, and and thank you so much for being here with me, David. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to uh, to be here. I'm a fan of the work that you do, and so it's my honor. Well, thank you. That's that definitely. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, so I just want to tell our listeners a little bit about how this came to be. I um, have this wonderful co-working space at Film Hub. I've mentioned it a few times already in our podcast. And the other day I was in the cafe and ran into this wonderful gentleman and asked him a little bit about himself. And he started telling me how he teaches people relaxation techniques and went over a few of the populations that he teaches and I said, well, you must have some kind of experience with folks who suffer from PTSD. And he said, well, yes, I do. And I said, well, would you like to be on my podcast? Little did I know um, the extent of your work. And, and I'm so grateful that you're here with me today. Me too. Uh, thank you. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about where your journey began um, with meditation and a little bit about your background? I did do my research after I met you and realized that you've written three books. And I, I grabbed Sacred Powers and started listening to that. Um, and I think it's absolutely great that you narrate your own books because you have just a wonderful way of of telling the story. I don't imagine anybody else would be able to do it as... Maybe if I could get uh, Morgan Freeman to, <laughs> to read my book, then I would, I would go with that one. Yeah, Morgan Freeman's pretty <laughs> awesome. So about when was it that you started your journey on becoming a meditation teacher? Uh, well, I, I guess my first interest... Uh, was uh, in college. I took this experimental Asian studies course in college, and um, there were 12 of us. <clears throat> uh, it was I, Little did I know it was a Zen meditation um, training, uh, but there were 12 of us. We sat in a circle on the floor. Our Zen master stood in the corner. We were instructed to actually raise our hands when we had a thought during meditation. And in his hands, he carried an 18-inch bamboo stick known as a keisaku. So when we raised our hands, he would come over and thwack us on the back. So I only lasted in that school of meditation um, a couple of weeks, you know, when you're lying to your Zen master, because I did not want to admit that I was having thoughts, didn't want to get hit. Um, so I left there, got into candle gazing, uh, got into... Um, mindfulness, vipassana, mantra, tantra, uh, even chocolate tasting meditation, one of my favorites. And really, these are all ways for us to connect to the present moment, because most of us are not hanging out in the present moment. Even when we're present, we're typically either trapped in the past, or we're trying to forecast the future, or, or, or force the future. And so um, I dabbled in some of these meditation techniques on and off over the years, and some for a couple of weeks, some for several years. And um, then I got involved in the corporate world. And as I got more deeper into business and finance and stuff like that, um, 
I just had pretty much stopped meditating. I just let it slip away. And um, what I realized also that slipped away was the balance. I had actually cultivated, you know, stealthily, subconsciously, um, a pretty even keel in my life, even though, um, you know, with a steady practice during my years of steady practice. But when it slipped away, when I stopped meditating, um, a lot of things bubbled to the surface. I wasn't really fulfilled in my job. My relationships weren't great. Um, I probably was a little, um, I grew up in a, a fairly violent um, environment. And I think I was, I was pretty angry. I was probably carrying around a lot of anger and a lot of um, sadness that was manifesting itself in a lot of other ways. But I felt so empty at a certain point um, with my job. I was, you know, working really hard to make lots of money for other people and 24-7 relentlessly. And I wasn't making a lot of money in that process, but I was really, really good at doing it for them. And uh, I was involved in mergers and acquisitions. And so uh, I was a mergers and acquisitions advisor um, helping companies integrate uh, when they merged or took over other companies. And uh, not a necessarily a noble profession in, 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 in hindsight. You can imagine. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was in the wake of 9-11 that I was walking past a row of cardboard boxes that people were living in. Um, and I walked past this particular box uh, and this hand reached out grabbed my pant leg. This guy pulled me in really, really close. He gazed up at me with these blue crystalline eyes. And he said, what's going to be on your tombstone? And Whoa. it was like, poof, you know, something like that. Um, you know, because sometimes you think, you know, why am I here? What's this all going to mean? But when someone in that environment, I, I totally believe to this day, this was definitely god coming to me, channeling, you know, through this homeless guy. And uh, we hung out for what seemed like hours. It was probably a minute, just gazing into each other's eyes. And when I walked away from him, I was shaking. Tears were streaming down my eyes. My knees were weak. Um, I was hyperventilating. Had to walk over and sit on the steps of this apartment building about 50 feet away. And you know, I was just asking that question, what, why, why am I here? What is going to be on my tombstone? So I went home that night, <laughs> told my wife what happened. And she's like, you need to quit your job. You need to definitely step away from that world. And uh, there's this meditation retreat in Oxford, England. You should definitely unplug, go there. There's this guy, Deepak Chopra. He's leading this thing. And I had never heard of Deepak Chopra. I thought she was talking for some reason i thought she was talking about francis ford coppola and i'm like why is francis ford coppola holding a meditation <laughs> retreat in oxford england but i'm fairly obedient and so i did it and uh, quit my job headed out you know to the land of harry potter and actually that's cambridge not oxford um <laughs> and so over the course this was a seven-day retreat um, it was right after 9-11, so no one was flying. So there were supposed to be like 2,000 people there, and there were 50, wow. and only five from the States. So it was pretty intense. It was pretty intimate. And suddenly I, I found my groove again with meditation. And by the third day, I was like, oh, what's that feeling? I think, I think it's joy. I haven't had that feeling in about 20 years. And so it had felt like my heart 
was this uh, white linen cloth that had been like submerged into black India ink for like the last decade plus. And with each day of meditation, it was like, I was just like draping that cloth into this rushing stream and it was just like cleansing it and lightening it. And I, I suddenly didn't feel empty. I had been feeling so empty and so sad and so, there's like a void inside of me. Um, but I started feeling, you know, pretty good when the med when the retreat ended after a week. Um, I headed off to India on my own little eat, pray, love journey without the eating and the love um, in search of the guru. And traveled high and low throughout India, went up uh, to Dharamsala in the north, uh, in the Himalayas to see His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. He wasn't there that day. Um, I traveled all over, meditated, practicing yoga, you know, lighting incense, bathing in the Ganges, praying to God, like all this stuff, looking for answers. And um, about five months into that, yes, five months, I had taken a six-month visa. And wow. so like five and a half months later, um, I'm continuing to search, searching high and low. Suddenly, uh, I'm laying in this um, hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, southern India. And I'm reading uh, this ancient book, the Bhagavad Gita, um, which is essentially the original conversations with God. Hmm. The greatest warrior of all time, Arjuna, is at a crossroads in his life. He's on the battlefield. He's supposed to, you know, fight and kill all these people. And he's, he doesn't know what to do, doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to show up, doesn't want to fulfill his purpose at the time. And uh, so it's a great, great, probably the earliest book written around 300 BC. Uh, the, the first book of talking to God and asking God like, hey, uh, how am I supposed to live life? And so when Arjuna says to God, how am I supposed to walk through the world? The um, God replies, yoga sta kuru karmani, which means establish yourself in the present moment and then perform action. Hmm. So essentially get still, and then be brilliant. And it hit me like a lightning bolt. And I was like, yes, that's it. That's how I want to live my life. You know, getting still before I act, you know, finding these moments where I can actually connect to what's inside of me and then performing in a purposeful way. So I raced back home. Well, there's no racing in India. I raced to the, to the bus station and 20 hours later, a bus came. And then and that was a 22 hour bus ride back to Mumbai. And then I waited in the airport 20 hours and then the flight was 22 hours. So that was racing. Um, but when I got back home, um, all I did was meditate. I was so happy. I was so fulfilled. I was so light. I felt like I had it all. And a friend of mine said in sort of like an intervention, he was like, you know, all you do is sit around and meditate. Uh, probably should try to do something with that, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's great. I love it. it. makes me feel so relaxed and calm and I'm so clear. And uh, he said, well, you know, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. And he said, hey, your, your, your friend Deepak Chopra, he's got um, this thing going on in um, Southern California, in Carlsbad, California. He's got a, he's got a workshop and a meditation training facility. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And I went to that. It was uh, July 14th, interestingly enough. That's Bastille Day, Liberation Day. Uh, it was July 14th, 2003. I showed up for that, and I never went back home. Um, at that workshop, he asked me to run his center, 
And, you know, within a a few months, I was certified as a meditation teacher. Then I was the lead educator. Then I became the dean of his university. And so for 10 years, I pretty much um, apprenticed under him and really my, my dear friend, Dr. David Simon. He was a neurologist who had been Deepak's partner for about 15 years before that. And that was just it. Everything... You know, I started teaching meditation every day, started practicing, started recording meditations. And I really got to meet with so many people who were struggling and challenged and be able to teach them techniques to help them take their lives to the next level. So that's a very long nutshell. But that's... No, <laughs> thank you very much for um, for for sharing that with me. I appreciate it. Um, that's an amazing story. That's a, that's a, definitely, I think that the man in the box was speaking for someone else, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing moment. Yeah. And it was really more questions, you know, it wasn't like you should do this or you should go that. He was like asking me deep questions that forced me to go deep into my soul and that, Pretty amazing. Maybe that was my first conversations with God. Yeah. Well, and pretty fascinating that you went home and your wife was like, you know what? You just need to quit your job and go. (laughs) By the way, I'm still married to her. So she has has lasted through all of my kookiness. Um, Wow. But yeah. That is wonderful. And so as far as part of what I do... um, with the podcast, with something I can do. Um, I started this because I really wanted to break the stigma of mental health. And I want people who possibly suffer like I did for years to be able to recognize um, their, that mental health is, is just as important for us to take care of as our physical health. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, It doesn't make us, wacky or kooky um it it is a part of who we are um we're not just physical beings we think and process thoughts um on a second by second basis probably faster than that much faster and um it's it's extremely important that we all recognize when we need to talk to somebody or when we need to meditate or take I love um in your book you talk about the 16 seconds yeah and then going from there and and creating you know a longer moments in between um but maybe you could tell us a little bit about the 16 seconds yeah, well, back up to what you just said, because I think that's so important. You know, it's so when we talk about physical health, we think about, you know, um, getting on a treadmill or going to the gym or going to a yoga class or eating lettuce instead of a, an animal. Um, you know, all these things are great, but um, it's because they're so tangible and so obvious when we are um, struggling emotionally. It's so amorphous and it's so hard to like, it's not like, oh, I can look at my fat stomach and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, diet for the next two weeks. We're sort of like, you know, there's nothing to look at. Suddenly we are it. 
And we can get so deep um, into our trauma and we can get so deep into loss and grief. Um, and the last, you know, last two years, last 20 months has been an opportunity for us to really take a look at, you know, all the things that we lost. Um, and, you know, there are some things that we never had that we, that we lost, um, you know, such as, you know, I, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of kids, high school kids who, you know, were like, my, my prom was stolen from me. My graduation was taken from me. And, um, and so that's just like the easiest example. It's something they actually never had, but somehow inside of them, they feel, you know, they, I mean, they're, they're a victim in that moment. So it's not just stuff that we own, you know, our youth, our health, um, a relationship with a close loved one who, who passes away. It's the stuff that we even like project, like, well, this would be the normal way for it to unfold. And when it doesn't, uh, that can be as real a trauma as, uh, or a trigger for previous trauma as, um, as any other loss that we experience. Um, there is this technique uh, that I, that I started, uh, teaching to, uh, Marines up in Camp Pendleton, which is about 20 minutes up the road here. Um, a bunch of years ago, after I left the Chopra Center, I started working, um, with members of the military and, and members of law enforcement. Um, as well as um, people at Bank America and Merrill Lynch and AT&T and Pepsi and Facebook, you know, companies like that. But, you know, when you're standing in front of a room full of Marines, you know, it's a, it's a little daunting. Like, what could I possibly teach these super resilient people? But we know these are some of our most damaged, you know, citizens. These are the people who came back and we, you know, either drugged up or ignored. Um you know, over a million of them who've come back to integrate into into our world. So I figured um, someone who looks like me chatting about meditation was not necessarily going to resonate with these amazing beings. So I, um, I never used the word meditation when I started teaching them. I never even used the word mindfulness. We didn't even go there. I called it tactical breathing. And nice. that was, that was, that was a real resonating moment. Um, <laughs> but a um, good way to get through to the, right. They were like, yeah. Oh, I like that. Um, and so, uh, and you, that's you, what it is too. It is tactical of course, breathing. Of course. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, an easy way for us to connect to this is, um, and I'll ask you as well as everyone listening, um, so let's think about something that's been bothering us this week. Don't go too deep. This isn't therapy, but, you know, just, um, you know, an irritation, a disappointment, something was supposed to happen. It didn't unfold that way or someone was supposed to do something. They didn't something along those lines and get clear on that. Okay. And now close your eyes and through your nose, take a long, slow, deep breath in and watch that breath. And when it gets to your belly, hold it there. Keep holding it. Keep watching it. Keep observing it. Keep witnessing. Now release it and watch it as it goes up your chest, through your throat, out through your nose or mouth. Keep exhaling out and keep watching it. And just watch that breath as it dissipates into the ether. And now breathe normally. Open your eyes. And that was 16 seconds. And in those 16 seconds, if you were playing along, and I know you were, um, hopefully everybody else was, um, if you were playing along, 
you were not thinking about that thing that I just asked you to think about. And I didn't tell you to stop. I just said, close your eyes and watch your breath. So for those 16 seconds, we weren't in the past. We weren't in the future. We were fully present. And so two valuable lessons we learned just out of this 16 second technique. One, we can always direct our thoughts to where we want them to be. We just prove that. And number two, we can always introduce a break in the action. It's called a pattern interrupt. You can always send wherever we were going, we can stop it, connect inside. And the key to this whole process is we can do this anytime. Stuck in traffic, you know, well, I wouldn't recommend closing your eyes, <laughs> but, but pretty much anything. You're on the phone, it's not going the way you want. You're sitting at dinner, it starts to get a little tense. Suddenly you just start, you're sitting by yourself and you start thinking about something that's traumatic or painful or, or triggering. We have the ability to just close our eyes and watch our breath as it moves through that. And really all we did was inhale to the count of four and watch it, hold it to the count of four, keep watching it, release it to the count of four, keep watching it, and then let it go. Keep holding it out to the count of four. And so do that four times, it's a minute, 20 times, it's five minutes. And so that was my way of can't see my air quotes here, but tricking those Marines into a 16 second meditation. And they're like, huh, cool. Because Marines, <clears throat> Navy SEALs, you know, a lot of people in the military, they're trained about box breathing. Box breathing is really designed to slow the heart rate, but they don't teach people to watch the breath as they breathe. They just say, breathe it, hold it, breathe it out, hold it. But 16 seconds suddenly adds this witnessing awareness component to that practice. And so in addition to just slowing your heart a little bit, you suddenly are taken away from the past and the future. And the past and the future, where's fear? It's in the future. Where's, where's shame? You know, past and future. Where's guilt? Past and future. Suddenly we start to realize all those emotions, you know, of the past and of the future are the ones that take us down in the present moment. So if we can just keep returning, if we can cultivate our ability to, let me just get present, let me just get present, because in the present moment, you are whole and perfect and, and, and pure in that moment. Now, what we're not trained on growing up or in schools or by our parents is that stuff comes into us, the world comes into us, and then there's a space between what comes out of us. And in that space, what we choose to do with that space um, determines the fabric of our life. And so just because something negative comes in doesn't mean something negative has to go out. Just because, you know, something disappointing comes in doesn't mean we have to get angry or do anything. We get to choose how we respond, how we show up. And this isn't dumbing it down or hiding from our emotions, which I think are very, very important that we connect to, but it's an opportunity for us to not get caught up in some type of downward spiral of rumination, because it's easy for us to get trapped in that depression, that sadness, that triggering you know, of, of previous traumas. So we have breath, no equipment necessary. We've got it no matter what, and no one on this planet breathes enough, no one. And I would encourage everyone to pay attention today as you go through the day. 
where you find yourself like, oh, I was holding my breath, or oh, I didn't take a breath in, or oh, I'm not taking long, slow, deep breaths in. But allow 16 seconds to be your, your platform uh, for continuing that in your life. Yeah, that's wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you, you touched on a lot of things there that, um, that took me back to a time when, um, I was really struggling in my marriage, in, uh, a lot of personal relationships, um, in just about every area of my life. Um, it was towards the end of my schooling at ACHS, uh, for my associate's degree. And I, I had started experiencing a lot of body pain and throughout uh, my life, I've had these periods of, of time where, where I will be overcome with this, this pain. And, um, I was determined, especially after, uh, after learning what I'd learned through integrative health, that I was going to get to the bottom of it, that I knew that there was a root cause and that once I found out the root cause, I would be able to get past this pain. Right. But while I was on this quest or mission to get to the root of my pain, I now recognize the ways that I felt justified in feeling grumpy when I was in a lot of pain or answering people, um, shortly or, um, or, you know, sarcastically or whatever, whatever popped into my head. I felt like I I was justified in letting it be what it was. Um, and we even, we even will say to ourselves, I'm just speaking my truth. Yeah, I'm speaking my truth. This is how I feel right now. So deal, right? But um, when my husband walked out, that made me take a really good look at myself and say, well, at first I was, of course, very angry. How dare he? I'm in so much pain. Can't he see? all the pain I'm in right now. What an awful person. What does that make him to walk away from me while I'm in all of this pain, right? He knows what I'm going through. And this is what I told myself. And it's, I find it interesting. The, you used the proverb at the beginning of sacred powers from the native American elder who tells his grandson um, there are two wolves inside of us. And I found that proverb at that time. And at first, you know, I did, I did go to meditation to start because I was ruminating. Oh my goodness. After my husband left, I, I mean, I stayed up all night ruminating over all the ways that I'd been done wrong and how dare he, and he just doesn't know. And so I did start meditating to try and get my mind right. And I found that proverb, that proverb. And at first I would read it and think, yeah, all those bad things he's doing, that makes him such a horrible person. And look at how awesome I am because I'm all these good things. 
And I don't know at what point it, I, I know there was a point, a very distinct point, and maybe it was God talking to me or, or some spirit moving me in, in some way. But as I meditated more and more over that proverb, at one point, I was able to see the ways that I was feeding the bad wolf, that I was angry. I was acting towards him in all of these ways. And who was I to think that somehow, just because I was in pain, it was okay for me to do that to anybody else. And so from that point on, when I finally recognized that, I continued to meditate over that proverb and I just brought in all the good. And whenever I would have an angry thought, I would bat it away and say, nope. And I would replace it with something good. And eventually my husband said he saw that in me. He saw that somehow something had shifted and there was this change and he was able to come back. And I love that you said in, in your um, opening, it's, it's the dedication, right? To your, to your sacred powers um, book. You read the proverb and then at the end you say that it's dedicated to all those who have ever thought to themselves I may not be quoting you directly, but who've ever thought to themselves, which one am I feeding? Right. Yeah. I am one of those people. So yeah. thank you. <clears throat> well, the meaningless coincidences. So how in the world do we end up right in the film hub with that proverb coming? You know, it's, it's almost like it tractor beamed us in um, yeah. to this moment. You know, you're talking about something very, very real, emotional leakage. And um, being in denial and rationalizing bad behavior. For you to even get to that space, you know, at the time that you did, requires really it's a lot of, of, of self-inquiry and honesty to actually realize, oh, I'm the jerk <laughs> in this relationship. You know, it's, I mean, that's, that's so powerful. And, and, and we all are the jerk at some point, you know, in every relationship that we have. But a lot of times we rationalize it away. It's like, no, I, I gave money to the Red Cross. I'm, you know, I'm treating everyone else like crap. But, but I go I to gave, church every Sunday. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, those lists of, 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 our, support, our, of our fake support, you know, um, system um, to help us rationalize that we're good, we're good people. It's, but, and we are. We're all good people and we're all bad people. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, your husband didn't come back to that same person. You know, you were so much more attractive after you had your epiphany, you know, just like, oh, I don't want to be that. that that's not really who I, who I am. You know, I feel like I've been like hijacked or I need to do a little personal exorcism. Um, but there was some... There, there had to be like some type of real crystallization in terms of shifting because really what happened is you found that whole part of you and then fell in love with that part of you and then that became very attractive to everyone else because no one wants to no one's being attracted to the victim you know who's who's being attracted to the victim either predators mm -hmm. or people who want to fix the victim but when you are a thriver survivor and thriver then um, 
I think that's very magnetic. Yeah, how beautiful is that? It's great. Meditation can be that pattern interrupt that we introduce to sort of just like stop the relentless anything, whether that's an addiction, whether that's a, 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 a way we behave and we've ingrained it, whether that's, you know, some type of habit or whether it's just some, you know, non-nourishing thought flows that, that keep coming in. We can introduce that break. Um, I mean, we don't even have to go 16 seconds. We could do just by taking a long, slow, deep breath in and then having that same self-inquiry. I think without the self-inquiry, nothing changes. So I know a lot of meditators who are really jerks um, <laughs> because they do a lot of meditation, but they're not really, really um, open to, to the internal conversation and, and the growth that that comes from that but i think when you can have self-inquiry and this ability to create a pattern up interrupt in your life on a consistent basis everything can unfold and you know i I've, I've talked about this in a few of um well i think i actually talk about it in in, in all of my books there's really two paths that we can roll down we can lock in a daily practice. And that's sort of like, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people and they go, oh, no, no, I've got my prayer. And I go, mm, not the same. Prayer is talking to God. This is listening. How, many, how much time are we going to spend talking to something larger than us, our higher power or our, our highest self? But we don't spend enough time listening. It's in the listening that the, that the personal evolution really, you know, unfolds. And I think that's like a a core element. So we can proactively create this practice. So we walk through the day with just a little more stillness and silence inside of us. But also having these in the moment stress hacks that allow us just as we're about to be poked or just as we have been poked or triggered for us to be able to not go there because that's just conditioned behavior. There's nothing appropriate or right or acceptable about that. We're just, we've, We've just been programmed and reinforced it, and it's conditioned. You know, someone says this, and I lash out. Like, well, that's a choice that we made. Who knows when, but we've done it a bunch of times, and now it seems normal. And the only way for us to, you know, you had that aha moment. I believe that transformation comes with this divine convergence of message. So the message might have been, you know, the two wolves. Messenger. For some reason, you know, you were buying it that day. You trusted, you know, what the, the messenger of of that. And maybe that was just a catalyst. There's probably other things as well. And timing. Message, messenger, and timing. You weren't ready before that. You know, and I didn't know you then. But I'm just guessing. You you weren't ready. You know, if that same exact message had come to you six months earlier, you know, you'd have been like, whatever, you know, or just not paying attention to it. And so, um, bravo, you know, you, you nailed it there. Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I do, I do want to, um, I think everyone can take something away from what we're talking about here, as far as the 16 seconds, as far as, you know, meditation helping us think twice about the actions that we have. Everyone has something to, to pull away from this. And I, I, 
as far as PTSD is concerned, um, I do want it to be known that while these techniques help and they definitely give you um, the, the ability to turn that train around, I think it is important for those who have either been diagnosed or who are wondering whether they have it to realize that it is Im- these moments are important for us to have. It is important for us to have that self-inquiry. But there is a lot of work that goes into it. It sounds what we're talking about here right now, that, you know, my moment with the two wolves story. That was just a catalyst. And there were many other, many other aha moments that I've had in the years since. Um, I think from that moment, it was still another four years before I even recognized I had PTSD. So, um... I think that there's something in meditation for everybody. There's definitely, definitely a lot those who have PTSD can get out of meditation. Um, But I guess I'm just trying to to make sure that um, our listeners understand that I was told, I have been told so many times that everyone experiences trauma. Just get over it. And I want those who feel and, and, and know what PTSD is to understand that I understand that you can't just get over it and have those, those, it does take a lot more work. Um, but those little moments add up like the moment that I had and all those, the daily meditation, not every day are you going to receive a message, but trying again the next day can, you know, and the day after that and the day after that, the messages do eventually come through and they've only come through when I'm not trying for them. Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, meditation is a tool. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. It's not a religion. It's not a wisdom tradition. It's a tool. Of course, since I'm a meditation geek, um, I recommend that everyone use that tool. But, you know, and that's why, you know, I've I've created, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of different types of meditation experiences so that people can, whether it's heal their heart or, um, forgive themselves or forgive someone else or you know, there are so many different the spectrum of of all of our issues is, is so multi-dimensional um <clears throat> but i believe meditation on its own can we know some of the physical benefits the reason we know some of the physical benefits and we sort of you know and this, this stuff is evidence-based and scientifically proven so i don't i don't need to sell meditation um or convince anyone you know that it's it's real um <laughs> you know the, the the level of the, the number of studies is accelerating wildly um on on how it impacts the brain and impacts us chemically and hormonally but let's take a look at go back to the our original fight flight 
self-preservation mechanism that is actually woven into our DNA, and it's been woven into every single being on this planet for over 20,000 years. It's a self-preservation mechanism. It's helped to make us survive in life. So go back 20,000 years, and you're walking through the jungle, and you hear which is like the sound of a saber-toothed tiger, which can't be disproven. Um, so it's, it's as, good as, as good as any other saber-toothed tiger. And um, in under five seconds, we are hardwired to um, start perspiring really, really quickly. Probably that happens in like a half a second um, because our autonomic nervous system knows, guess what? You're going to overheat. You can either fight this threat or you're going to run away from it. One of the two. But... Um, you need to start sweating right now. Then our heart beats um, more rapidly and more shallowly. And that's because it's revving us up because soon there's going to be some hormones and chemicals introduced into our bloodstream and we want that heart rate as quick as possible. The next thing that we do is start suppressing anything that's non-essential to fighting or running away. So our growth hormone, our sex hormone, our immune system all gets suppressed. And then cortisol, adrenaline, and glucagon. Glucagon is like eating five Snickers bars at once if you're looking for like a sugar charge. They all get surged into our system. And then the weirdest and coolest thing happens. It's pretty weird though. Um, we start clotting before we get cut. The platelets that flow through the plasma the hard parts of our blood become plump and sticky. All that is under five seconds. That's just because we sensed a threat to our physiology. So the threat suddenly goes away and we would think, oh, okay, and all that stuff stops. First of all, there's no off switch. It can take up to 18 hours for all that stuff to subside. So that's why emotional leakage is so rare, you know, real. You could stub your toe at seven o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon and someone says, hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? And you're like, no. <laughs> you're like, gee, I just tried to offer you a gift and you barked at me. Where'd that come from? Um, and so that's really, you know, that stuff is real. Now, of course, there's no saber-toothed tigers out here and in Vista, California, haven't been for a while, but we have evolved over these tens of thousands of years into translating this fight flight when we sensed a threat to our physiology into emotional fight flight when we sensed a threat to our ego. And in this context, what's the definition of our ego? Our sense of self. So anytime we sense a threat to our sense of self, we as humans, and we've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, um, we either get emotionally fighty, like aggressive behavior or stance or response, or um, we withdraw. We flee emotionally, which is shut down, blank stare, go inside, hide, head to the safety of whatever that looks like. So if we look at that, you're like, this is who we are. This, we saw this over the last several years with, with all the politics, right? Someone, you know, so when we go back to like, what's your ego, your sense of self, it's the stuff you think you own. 
I think I own my body. I think I own my health. I think I own my music. I think I own my favorite sports team. I think I own my kids. Well, you never own your kids, so that's like a joke. I uh, think you own your house. Probably the bank owns it. Think you own your car. Probably the bank. You know, we can go like on and on with, with what that is. But anytime we sense a threat to that thing we think we own, we are actually being sparked just a little bit, triggered just a little bit with that emotional fight flight known as the reactive response. And so someone cuts you off. It's like, hey, that was my lane. You know, like you're wearing my sweater. You know, it looks better on me. Or like someone says, hey, I love that music group. And you're like, I knew them first. I saw them at their first concert. You know, so we're all the stuff we think we own. And anytime it's challenged, we're going to get sparked with a little bit of that same exact chemical and hormonal stuff. So go back to your personal traumas. Go back to that moment. And they're unique for everyone. It's not like, well, my trauma, well, you know, I got, I stubbed my toe. Our depth of loss and trauma and grief are all based on our relationship to that thing. Everyone's got a different relationship to that thing. You know, depending on your age, your mindset, your upbringing, the, you know, the, the the violence of the threat, like all those things. And so suddenly we realize, oh my God, uh, probably 15 to 20 times a day, we do this when suddenly Wi-Fi is sketchy, you know? That was something we thought we owned, perfect Wi-Fi um, in that moment. And so when we meditate, the exact opposite thing happens. That's the key. When we meditate, guess what? We don't breathe, shout, uh, We first of all, we don't, perspire. Our threshold for perspiration actually goes up. Our body temperature actually rises without us sweating. We start to breathe more slowly and more deeply. We actually suppress adrenaline, cortisol, and glucagon. We elevate our stress hormones, uh, our, uh, our sex hormones. We elevate our growth hormones. We elevate our immune system. And the hard parts of our blood that flow through the plasma become plump and, and be, become fluid and flow more easily. So suddenly we realize there's an actual shift that I can do to my physiology and to my chemicals and hormones because so much of our behavior, good and or bad, is driven by those chemicals and hormones. It's all our autonomic nervous system. And so I would suggest if we can proactively sort of begin to cultivate even just a way for us to connect to stillness and silence, whether it's 16 seconds or whether it's a minute or whether it's spending just five minutes, just breathing with your eyes closed and just watching your breath even, or using, you know, a mantra over and over like I am, you know, or, you know, repeating the serenity prayer or, you know, some, some uh, proverb. That's actually going to help us. We're going to actually cultivate the exact opposite. And I believe over time, along with therapy, along with um, self-inquiry, along with having a strong front row, you know, support system. Meditation can be this really powerful tool that threads through every single moment of our life. And thank you so much for all of that. That I had a lot of aha moments while you were saying that. Um, yeah. So basically what I got out of everything you were saying is that by meditating and having this regular daily practice, the way that PTSD has rewired my brain, meditation can give me the ability to rewire it. Like I've 
been trying to do for so many years. So meditation is an extremely powerful tool we can use. I think meditation returns you to the memory of your wholeness, which is your state before anything else happened. That is beautiful. I want to bring up something else that I I heard in Sacred Powers. You you talked about how... um, You talked about how when you're meditating, having those thoughts come up, that's perfectly normal. Because so many people try to meditate and they say, well, meditation just isn't really for me because I can't, I can't put all those thoughts out of my head. But I love the way you describe it in Sacred Powers because, of course, that's what we're, that's what our brains do. It's just our brains being brains. We, we, it's okay to look at that moment and be like, look at me being me that's who I am and then moving past that and then you also just now brought up the front row which um which I loved that analogy in in your book as well when you you talked about who's in the theater of your life yeah who who have you let in the front row and do they belong there so for those who are listening who don't have sacred powers yet, you should go get it because that <laughs> that's a very good moment to um, to listen to and and to really internalize because I know for me I've let far too many people in my front row that do not belong there, and yeah, we like let, we let people into our heads that we would never let into our homes. Yeah. So it's time to sort of like go like oh who are the people they can disagree with you. Mm-hmm. But if they're rooting for you, they're front row. Right. So how many people are, you know, I have friends, they don't agree with any of my political beliefs or my my cultural or social beliefs, but they're always rooting for me to succeed. They want to win the, the debate with me and prove me wrong, but they're rooting for me to succeed in my life. And so I think that's really the, the way we need to look at, like, who's out there? Are they, are they giving me the standing O? You know, are they on their feet or are they sitting on their hands waiting for me to flop? Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. So many, so many amazing things um, that you've brought up today. And and I think will be really good for our listeners to um, really give some good thought to. Um I definitely, I've really appreciated your being here and your sharing so much of your time with me and with us today. Um, My pleasure. Really, it's my pleasure. Um, We just need to know that, um, you know, it's intense out there. It is. And we need as many tools on our side to help us navigate through the the sometimes very turbulent waters of, of our life. And so whether it's practicing 16 seconds, whether it's just, you know, taking a breath. Oh, here's another one. Um, This is a good way. It only takes 24 seconds. You know, I'm trying to appeal to the lowest hanging fruit that people might have in terms of like, wait, Um, because you hit on like that perfect aspect, which is like, I'm meditating. It's been a week. I still have thoughts. And Jesus hasn't come and landed on my shoulder and whispered (laughs) in my ear. It's like, well, you're putting a very high bar on what's supposed to happen. Really, all we're doing is just um, we're 
we're progressively quieting the fluctuations of our mind. That's all we're doing. And maybe if we can quiet it down just enough, we can hear the whispers in our heart. Just maybe that. So any tool that we can use in any moment to suddenly, because you are getting triggered. I am getting, we're all getting triggered. Whether we have PTSD or not, we're getting triggered. Right. So if you have PTSD or CPTSD, suddenly there's so many, you know, CPTSD just makes it more possible for more triggers to impact your life. Um, So I don't mean to be laughing, but I'm I'm laughing at the, at the magnanimity, you know, the, the the enormous magnitude of it. Um, So that's why we need to be able to like start our day with a little meditation, pop it in every couple of hours. And the science has already said that we can't focus on something for more than 45 minutes and stay at at optimal, you know, peak performance. We have to then take a break. So even if you just every 45 minutes, just wheeled yourself away from your desk or whatever, and then took a long, slow, deep breath in would be the, the, the least. But here's another one. I call it the crazy eights. It's not really crazy, but it's memorable. So we're going to breathe into the count of eight. We're going to hold it to the count of eight, and then we're going to exhale to the count of eight. So let's see what that looks like. Take a long, slow, deep breath in. Seven, six, And now hold that seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And now release it. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And now breathe normally. Just that, again, pattern interrupt, slow down chemicals and hormones. You might have been thinking, oh, I'm going to lop that person's head off with a machete, or <laughs> I'm going to scorch the village, or that's it. I'm shutting down. Talk to the hand. I'm, I'm going away. And we can suddenly, the chemicals and hormones that were surging, you know, we've all heard that term a a trillion times, flattening the curve. So we can flatten the curve of the rise of our fight flight chemicals inside of us just by doing something as simple as, as, you know, 24 seconds is all that took. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I, w- I would love to have you back, but I, I'm sure your life is going to get probably, or uh, your life is probably very busy, but hopefully one day. Yeah, I look forward to that. We'll be able to have more discussions because I need to get through sacred powers and then I'm sure I'm going to have lots more I want to talk to you about. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, thank you very much, David. Thank you. And um, everyone, this is something we can do. Here is something you can do, something you can do, this is something you can do, something you can do, here is something I can do, something I can do, this is something I can do, something I can do.